Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Rumbleverse. This is episode 113. Jimmy here with me. And we are going to continue our listener Q&A segment that we started last week. Didn't get to as many last week as we wanted to because we had some World Cup things to talk about. So Jim, how you doing? Uh, you know, I mean, I've been finding this World Cup to be fascinating, honestly. Uh, we've talked a lot about it already, so we don't need to go too much further into details. But, uh, you know, the biggest question for me is, do you think that we're going to get more than 45 minutes of playtime from Paolo Dybala at this World Cup. It's zero through I know that's, that's, that's minutes why, And yeah. the thing you that think, boggles like, my mind. Would Messi have to be injured? That's the only it, way I can see him getting minutes at this I point, mean, right? I mean, Lotaro's been terrible from what I've seen. That's also true. I caught, you know, I caught like a decent portion of the match on Saturday. And the, I saw the second half of the Saudi Arabia match when they ended up losing. And I saw, I, I think part of one of their other matches and they have not looked that dangerous an attack as you would expect them to um they're winning which is the most important thing and um, i am rooting for them at this point with the united states out but i would like to see our boy paulo dibala get a few minutes i mean it's it's baffling to me because papu gomez is starting in attack last match and lotaro off the bench blew a couple chances to really put that match away i i don't know i mean what's the over under on his minutes at this point depending on if they can go another match or two or three you know yeah I'm I'm just like convinced at this point that he did something. Either Scaloni really doesn't think that Dybala can do anything other than playing that messy role, or which I don't think is true. Like we've seen him be adaptable everywhere he's played in terms of what position he can play. Uh, so I don't buy that logic. Beyond that, I mean, like you have to think that he pissed somebody off, right? Like that's really the only logic that I can have for keeping a guy like Paolo Dybala not only on your bench, but like just not seeing the pitch at all. Like, I love Nikola Zalewski, but, like, Nikola Zalewski has seen more of the pitch in this World Cup than Paolo Dybala, which is insane. <laughs> like, just just objectively insane. Um, like, I would say that Paolo Dybala is one of the best players in Serie A, and Serie A is probably a top two, top three league in the world. The fact that he's not getting playtime in this World Cup is just bonkers to me yeah it's baffling it's not as stacked of an argentina team to me as we've seen in past years so to, to have him not getting minutes is is certainly a little bit interesting uh matias vina coming back home after uruguay crashed out earlier than expected in the group stage um back home meaning to rome i guess or eventually to portugal for training camp yeah uh Zalewski coming back after the loss yesterday to france for port poland so now it's just uh rui plays tomorrow on tuesday um against switzerland not a gimme for them and then it's dibala sitting the bench at argentina otherwise everybody's pretty much back uh in Mourinho's, you know clutches so to speak for training and and hopefully getting things tuned up yeah and i mean i don't we don't have to go much further with the world cup stuff but you know it is kind of the biggest thing that soccer has every four years so yeah i think we're excused at least a little bit of time to talk about it um i would also just say that as much as it sucks to not see very many Roma players actually get consistent playtime at this World Cup. And as much as people are like, oh, the Japan tour, like they didn't even play that well. Like I am 100% fine with Roma players getting rest right now. Um, yeah. I'm 100% fine with Paolo. Like as much as I want him to play because this is probably arguably going to be like the World Cup that he has at his peak. As much as I want to see Dybala play, it's probably better for Roma if he doesn't play that much. Um 
just because like, you know, he is injury prone and you can be worried about yep. that. Um, you know, I, I'm, ex- I'm looking forward to the return of club football. Um, and I'm personally going to be rooting for France because I have family in uh, France. And I, live, <laughs> I live there for a year. Um, so I've actually, and I went to a handful of PSG games when I was, you know, living there. So I've got personal reasons to support them, um, kind of as my tertiary team. But uh, I will say that, you know, Alisson and Marquinhos on Brazil and uh, Dybala, if he ever gets to play for Argentina, you know, if if those guys are playing, I'll be rooting for them as individuals. Yeah, and the only other thing I'll point out after we had some surprise exits in the group stage, which you tend to get some exits, we've also had some big teams that did advance get upset, like Argentina by Saudi Arabia, and uh, Spain dropped a match to Japan, Germany dropped a match to Japan. The cream is starting to rise to the top as we get into the round of 16 here. No big upset so far in the round of 16. You know, Holland took care of business against the United States, unfortunately for us. Uh, Argentina took care of business. France took care of business. England really took care of business yesterday, and then so did Brazil today and then the only close match was croatia japan which i expected to be one of the closer ones went to pks and um from what i heard japan was pretty poor in pks and they went out but you yeah, know that was we'll, we'll, that was sad to see that yeah they, they, I, they were a fun story they were a fun story and they came up with two really big wins in the group stage um they were kind of not making sense the way those matches played out when they lost to costa rica but um mm-hmm. the other kind of cinderella team for asia purposes um australia and korea both got knocked out uh, korea pretty emphatically mm-hmm. today I wonder if Brazil's going to just start to turn it on. And um, tomorrow, Portugal-Switzerland, I think, should be a good one because that's a pretty even matchup, I think, um, yeah. from what we've seen from those teams. And um, and then it's can Morocco keep up the Cinderella story against Spain. I mean, Morocco wins the group, probably expecting to get a little bit weaker opponent, and they end up getting Spain, who finished second behind Japan in that group. So that'll be interesting. Uh, the Moroccans have been pretty good so far, but Spain will certainly be tough for them to handle. So we'll see how things shake out by the time we – Record again next week. I think we'll be uh, the semifinals will be lined up, so it'll be interesting to see if Dybala gets on the field by then. <laughs> yeah, let's let's hope, man, because I can't imagine it's very you know it's got to be a pretty bruising to your ego to be in a situation yeah. like this if you're as good as he is, you know? Because he, I would argue that he's probably one of, at least he could you could make an argument for Dybala as like their second best player in their squad. I think. As, at least in the attacking phase for sure. Yeah, I think exactly. Messi. Um, yeah. So that'll be interesting to see. And uh, I am pulling for them. I, I'd like to see Messi win too, kind of to end the Maradona's better debate, in my opinion. I don't think there's any question that Messi's better. But again, it's a generational thing. I think we we weren't around for Maradona's prime. And, yeah. you know, people of that generation will always defend him, I'm sure. And but of course, see, he played for Napoli, so we can't love him too much. Play, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and while we're on Dybala, one of our questions from Ben C18 is actually um, related to Dybala and the struggles we've mm-hmm. had without him. So Ben asks, what will it take to develop a Dybala injury-proof game plan slash roster? He has so much when he's on, but clearly takes so much back when um, with him when he's not. Need a solution desperately. And we saw the the how how different it's been with him and without him this season, kind of amplified because of the other players, I think, not performing to, to our standard that we hold them to. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree that it's very obvious that at the moment there are two Romas. There's a Dybala Roma, which can probably stand up against any other club in Italy, and there is a Dybala-less Roma, which flounders. The really cheeky answer to this question is money. Um, what do we need to to be able to be better? Like, we need money. And to be honest, that's why Juventus, as much as he was wonderful at Juventus, I think the reason why you, part of the reason why Juventus is able to be so successful is because a Dybala-type player isn't their only fantastic player that costs like a garbage truckload full of money. Um, Like that's just the facts. And the good news is that, you know, we actually do have a lot of attacking talent. It's just the problem is that with Dybala out, that coincided with some horrific form for basically every other attacker. Now you can question whether that's causal or not. I would say that to a certain extent it was, but we also only signed Dybala this season and last season, a lot of these attackers who have been terrible this season were looking excellent. And, you know, Nicolo Zaniolo has looked excellent before without Dybala being on the pitch. So you can't convince me that it's only because Dybala is not there that like every attacker is looking poor. Um, So I would say that a little bit of his bad luck, um, a little bit of it is that Roma simply is not a financial behemoth in the same way that a lot of other clubs that might sign a player like Dybala are. 
Um, in terms of like actual potential solutions on the roster already, I would just say that unfortunately a lot of it's going to have to be waiting until the players pick up form if we're not talking about signing new players. Um, and I would also just say that tactically speaking, I would be very interested in seeing what happens when Wine Album comes back. Um, I think that the key issue, as much as not having Dybala was painful, I think that having not having Dybala and Wijnaldum was what was truly fatal for Roma during stretches. Like, I think that if we had had one and not the... When we had one and not the other and we had Dybala and not Wijnaldum, we were able to manage and actually look quite good. And I think that conversely, if we had lost Dybala for a bit of time like we did and we still had Wijnaldum on the field, I think we would have looked better. Um, and I, the good news is, like, if you've been following his social media, he really looks like he's rare to go. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's back, maybe not at the end of the World Cup break, but like a little bit after that. And we'll see if he can provide some spark in the midfield for Roma. Because again, like uh, something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, honestly, is that as much as people like to crap on Roma's midfield, if you look at these players individually, they're talented. They're quite good. It's not that they're bad players. It's the problem is that when you do a Matic-Cristante double pivot, it just does not inspire in the way that, you know, taking one of those guys out and putting in Wijnaldum. It doesn't even matter what the other guy, which guy you take out. Like, I personally think that both a Cristante Wijnaldum and Matic Wijnaldum double pivot would look a lot better than a Matic Cristante one, simply because you've got a guy like Wijnaldum who has a lot more midfielder-esque creativity in his boots. Um, so, yeah, I would say that a lot of it will hopefully get resolved once Wijnaldum comes back in terms of finding a injury-proof Dybala injury proof team uh I think that also making sure that you know just other attackers need to get into form I think those are the two biggest things that we need to hopefully get resolved by the end of January yeah I agree I, I think because we weren't Dybala reliant last season like you said we just signed him this season we know that the players on the roster can get the job done and yeah. I think you know his injury along with I think them relying a lot of when when Halden when he came over and then losing him right because even though he wasn't on Roma last season, and that is part of my argument when, you know, we played uh, Lazio and they had big players that I said, well, you know, when Haldem wasn't on the team last year, but also, you know, we had other midfielders like Mkhitaryan, Vertu, um, you know, Villar, Villar didn't play much last year, but really Vertu and Mkhitaryan who were part of the roster prior and were kind of in that mix already, right? So now you you take out Dybala and it, it kind of coincided with Pellegrini getting, even though he wasn't off the pitch a lot, he was not, you know, had some knocks, was nicked up a bit. So his form dropped off. We know Tammy's form has been struggling. Belotti came in very late, so it's been hard for him to, I think, really gel with his teammates, even though he is familiar with players like Pellegrini and Cristante from the national team. And I think you're right. Because we lose so much in the midfield, we were relying a lot on that attacking midfield pairing of Pellegrini, Dybala, and then not so much Abraham because he didn't score, but Dybala was bailing us out a lot. And then yeah. he gets hurt. And Pellegrini gets nicked up and he's not really 100%. He's playing with little strains and knocks and things like that. So his effectiveness goes down. And I think it's been a combination of those things. So I think the Dybala injury-proof game plan is just to get these other guys going, get Pellegrini healthy, get uh, another midfielder in the mix. Hopefully when Haldem's, you know, in some decent form, when he starts getting minutes under his belt, Kamara came in a little bit later. So he's starting to find a role in the team too, I think. Um, So hopefully all that helps out. Uh, like you said, Zaniolo is another guy who needs to get going a little bit more, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it's a combination of those things. And it, it kind of leads me to a couple of the questions from Garibaldino, who asked, you know, can this team can't score? He it can't seem to score, he says. Is the team fixable in its current incarnation? Is it the players or the coach slash system? And he also asked if Zaniolo should be renewed and why. I think I know what you're going to answer on the, the second part. So I'll, I'll give mine because I think you're probably going to say the same thing and you can tell me if you disagree, but I think he should be renewed because you don't want to get him in a situation where he's a year away from um, the expiring of his contract. And then he becomes a, a cheap buy for a Juve side that might be looking for players in the cheap, right? Because they can kind of maybe pressure Roman to selling or, or an English team can do the same. Um, I, I think you agree on Zaniola, right? That's your boy. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I would just add that even if you take away the fact that I think that he's the, the set now, the second most talented footballer in the team 
in terms of talent. I'm not saying necessarily production, but I'm saying talent. I think behind Dybala, he is like the most technically gifted footballer on the team. Even if you take that away, the idea that you you don't let a guy like that have his contract run down. We saw what happened when Roma was able to seize on Dybala having his contract run down. You don't want that to happen. And even Solbach like too, right? For that, yeah, exactly. for that matter, Solbach and I, you know, Boda did not want to sell him to Rome after last season. Yeah, players like that, I know players like Zaniolo, bad form or not, don't grow on trees. Um, as much as people are excited about Volpato, like I like he is got a long way to go before even being at like a Zaniolo level pre-ACL tear. Um, so I would just say that's a player that you want to keep around at the very least renew so that if you do end up wanting to sell you can sell for a reasonable value. Yeah, I agree. And then going to the second question or the first one that I read, but also Garibaldino's question. Mm -hmm. I think the team is fixable in its current incarnation. I think, you know, there are some pieces that can be upgraded for one, getting a win Haldem type back healthy, maybe bringing in a Fratezi in the summer type move would be a a big boost. Um, Maybe getting a left footed center back at some point, depending on how Mourinho wants to approach things moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of is it the players or this coach slash system, I think it's a combination. I think Mourinho is working with the players he has and that and thus has tweaked his system a bit to to that three five two, three five, uh three, four, one, two, depending on who's playing on the field at, at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think it's player form and injuries so far that have really kind of handcuffed Roma because prior to the injuries and Dybala getting hurt, especially, Roma was right in the mix around that, you know, top of the table, looking pretty decent. Um, tough loss to Atalanta here, one nothing, and, and little results like that. But I think the team is fixable. I think it has to start in the midfield and then hope the the forwards find form, in my opinion. And I think at some point, if Mourinho has the players he wants, I think he does switch to the back four, but we'll see if that's this season or maybe next season, depending on how the Mercato goes and how things finish out this year. Yeah, I 100% agree that I think that this is more about player form than anything else, which as much as you'd love for a manager to be able to fix that himself. I don't think that that's just, you can't just like wave a magic wand and make Tammy Abraham start actually hitting. <laughs> like, like I wish that somebody could, but clearly nobody can. And um, I think that a lot of the issues, like even as you said, like even with all the issues that we've been having, Roma is not that far away from where we wanted her to be this season. And so I think that with good form coming out of this winter break, we could be in a very nice spot. And I, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't, I, I think it's players being in bad form. I don't even think it's like the players themselves. I just think that attackers go through, are very streaky in soccer or football. Like they have good form for a while and they have bad form for a while. That happened with Jaco. That happens with practically everybody who's not Lionel Messi um, for most of his career. And at the end of the day, you just got to hope that the things line up a little bit, that all the good form lines up together so that your attack is at a 10 out of 10 level. Unfortunately, we've had the exact opposite of that. Um, but, you know, I that that won't last for too long. Yeah, I, I agree. And speaking of top four, we did have a quite, or not top four, rather, uh, but a back four. <laughs> let me let me change that because we'll talk about top four, I'm sure, at some point. But uh, everybody calm down and ask, does Romo switch to the back four this season for anything other than chasing a late goal? If so, what players are key to Jose's preferred formation? That's a good question. Um, I would, I'm hesitant to say that they will simply because I think that at the moment, Mourinho wants to be able to play a player like Nikola Zalewski, um, wants to be able to play a healthy Leonardo Spinazzola, wants to be able to play a lot of these kind of half fullback half winger types these attacking these really attacking fullbacks and i don't think it's fair to call them even just an attacking fullback because they're more attacking than most attacking fullbacks i would argue um and i guess he could change that i think we know that players like chris smalling and Gianluca mancini can function in a back four we know that it's not a problem for like Rui Patricio to work with a back four. He's done it before. Um, I think that the fullbacks are the biggest question mark for me there, because I think that in terms of having actual defensive integrity in a back four, it's going to be a lot harder to let players like Nikola Zalewski or, you know, whoever we get to be our starting right back now 
or um, Leonardo Spinazzola to be doing what they do best in a back four position. That That's my biggest concern about the back four as I generally see it. What about you, Steve? Yeah, I was going to say, I think it a lot depends on the fullback position, right? Because now you've lost Karsdorp at this yep. point. He's um, gone. He's gone. No matter what happens with his, you know, they're making him as a sports psychologist or whatever it is to to get to the bottom of this, you know, breakdown that he's having or or whatever he's claiming, uh, you know, because yeah. he's, he's got this whole thing with Jose now. So he's gone no matter what, whether he gets transferred in in January or he waits till the end of the year and he's just on Roma's books, he's gone. Um, Selleck is your only right back right now. Spinazzola is your left back. And then you've got Zalewski playing that hybrid role, which, which isn't his natural role. Um, you do have Vini on the books, but you know, you can see that he's played limitedly because I don't think Mourinho trusts him at this point. Because he's played. limited. Yeah. <laughs> because from what we've seen, he's probably, you know, a little bit maybe a, a club a step down from him where would kind of be his sweet spot in Europe, I think, at this point, from what I've seen. Um, maybe the jump from San Paulo was a little too big, or Palmeiras was a little too big when he came over. Yeah. Um, so you know, maybe he has a future at Roma maybe he doesn't maybe he needs some experience elsewhere first we'll see what happens with him but it all comes back to what you said so who are you bringing in I've seen Hector Bellerin linked from Barcelona who doesn't play much he's uh, played I'm looking three appearances so far this year in La Liga I think last year was with Arsenal if I remember correctly um man I kind of miss those Jorginho desk rumors at this point you know what I mean yeah and and those, actually those he were was nice. at Arsenal a couple of years ago he was actually at Real Betis last year so it's been a couple yeah. of years since he's he was at Arsenal, um, didn't play or is not playing much right now. Alvaro, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but let me let me look at the spelling so I can. I just had him pulled up. Uh, <laughs> I think it's Odirizola or, or how we pronounce another Spaniard. The Real Madrid at, fullback. Yeah, the Real Madrid <laughs> fullback who was at Fiorentina last year. So he is familiar with Italy a little bit, which is yeah. uh, a bit of a plus. Um, but again, he's not getting like any minutes at. Madrid this year, which is why he's also looking for a new club, 25 years old. So these are guys and are 26 and Bellerin 27. So these are guys kind of in that prime window, but not yeah. playing much to make you, you know, think, oh, like we bring him in, this guy's gonna be like our out and out starter. You know, yeah. they they both clearly have potential because they've both been with big clubs. Um, but maybe they're not at that Barcelona, Real Madrid level kind of thing. If someone like that comes in and and is splitting time with Selic. I mean, that's probably a good thing. I think they're more natural right backs, both of them, rather yeah. than the wing backs. But they, I see they both do have plenty of appearances at, as mid, right midfielders too. So it gives Mourinho that flexibility, the same thing he's kind of had with the Karsdorp, um, you know, Spinazzola, Zaleski type. But I think that is that is key. You need two guys, two fullbacks that are defensively sound if you're going to move away from that third center back. And you also need a midfielder who's going to be defensively sound which Matic is right if you play Matic which was I thought the reason they brought Matic was to have him play a defensive midfield maybe occasionally Cristante or when Haldem can sit a little bit deeper and sit in front of the defense and cycle the ball around yeah um, maybe those players coming back and then or one player coming back and when Haldem maybe a different fullback look because Selleck also was supposed to be a more defensively sound fullback than Karsdorp which I thought was the attraction for Mourinho maybe that frees things up. Maybe, you know, you play Selleck a little more defensively and you free spin up on the left side, kind of like uh, Italy did when he was really crushing it for the Azuri a couple summers mm-hmm. ago. Um, and you have Matic as that extra, you know, defensive type player, then who sits Mancini or Ibanez or Smalling, maybe you rotate those three and then they all stay fresh. Uh, could be an option too. But I do think it depends who's plugging in defensive midfield, where are the fullbacks? If that if if Mourinho feels comfortable with those players, then he can switch to a back four. Maybe that yeah. opens things up in attack. And I think about Solbach coming in. He's played mainly as a winger with Bodo, from what I've seen in his numbers. And you know, you look on these websites where they track where these players play. I think he fits more as a winger. We've seen Zaniolo yeah. excel as a winger uh, at mm-hmm. times in his career, cutting in from the right with that left foot, where he can. Part of me wonders if out. if that would be what will unlock him again. Being, yeah. being a winger again I, I do wonder about that and then you think about um Zalewski and he is naturally an attacking midfield t- winger type maybe he can play yeah. on the wing as well um then it depends do you want to play Pellegrini a little bit deeper in the midfield to get him on because Dybala is playing in the hole uh does Pellegrini occasionally play in the hole and you rest Dybala so I think there's options there I do think there's players that can fit um I'm just curious to see if Mourinho's done it like I'm looking at Solbach and he's 
according to transfermarket.com, every one of his, his starts has been in uh, either right wing or left wing. So it'll be interesting to see how they utilize him when he does play. Yeah, 100%. Um, I do think that that's probably the biggest question mark for this team, though. The idea that Mourinho does generally like a back four. But in terms of the players that Roma has, even at fullback, who don't want to leave the club, um, I, I think of them way more as almost wingers than I do like your traditional, more defensive fullbacks along this. Like, I don't think of them as Micon types, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that, I think that was part of the reason Stella came in. So we'll, I'm curious to see if he does try the back four different times. Um, speaking of Zalewski, uh, where Giuseppe asked, do you think Zalewski will not find his position at right midfield, right wing back if Karsdorp leaves permanently? I am so anxious about shuffling this kid around so much. I don't know about you. Um, I'm I getting, think even for Poland, it was I'm, on the left side, right? The one star he made yeah, for Poland? He's, he's, a, he's a left. He's on the left most of the time. And I'm getting strong. I'm, I'm getting PTSD from the Alessandro Florenzi. Let's shuffle him into whatever position is available in the starting 11 experiment. Because both of them strike me as players who were 100% willing to do that for a manager that they respect. And the, But the problem is that it does stunt development after a certain point to be expecting a player to play too far out of position. I think that Zalewski can function as a very attacking wing, uh, very attacking winger fullback hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think trying to shift him to the right from the left would be a mistake. I think that also the form that Spinazzola has displayed has not yeah. convinced me that he should be like a starting a, a fixture of the starting eleven just yet. And so if you're shifting my, him, yeah. and if you're shifting him, then that means you're relying on Vina to be Spinazzola's main backup. Exactly. Uh, which so I would much rather be too. in a position where where Zalewski starts on the left, Selleck and some other right winger, right wing back comes come in on the right. And it's I think that there's plenty of minutes for both Zalewski and Spinazzola right now in that left wing back position. And I'm also just not too confident that, you know, we, we don't really know how much much Spinazzola has left in his legs right now. So yeah, he could be one of the guys that benefits from this break. And if he comes comes back in great form, even better. Maybe it frees up Zalewski to play a little more attacking, right? In a different formation. Or I just don't want to bank on that yet. Yeah. And I could see Zalewski getting like a spot start at right back if it takes a little time to get somebody. Yeah, in he's been getting those, to be yeah. fair. Yeah. Um but I just I don't, don't want, want him shift shifted in. over yeah. permanently. Yeah. I agree. And and my hope is that they do at some point go to a back four where he can play higher up the pitch where he's yeah. you know Natural. naturally you know, played there his whole career. So, um, and kind of while we're on the topic of Karsdorp, Yurkata asked a question, uh, since even before Mourinho, there's been a troubling trend underway at Roma. Players come here, play brightly, and as they settle in, begin to play worse and worse until they need to be moved on. What is behind this, and how can Roma address this since it's seemingly not related to any specific manager, even any specific characteristic? He goes, I remember this under EDF on second, and now Mourinho. And I guess Karsdorp is one of those players that stands out because he's on his way out. I think my hot take about this is that that's true of most clubs. I was going to say, I think a lot of clubs go through this. We see guys explode onto the scene uh, for a season or two. And then they, I think it's also the league adjusts these players too. It's not just, you know, I think back to Juve, and this is probably at least a decade ago when they had um, that guy, Diego, the Brazilian come in, right. Him and, can't remember the other attacking player they had on the team, but I remember they killed Roma like the second match of the season. Uh, had like a good beginning to the, their first season, and maybe uh, you know maybe the full season. And after that, they kind of fell off. And I, I feel like that happens with a, a lot of teams, a lot of players. Um, sometimes it works to the club's advantage, where they are able to sell them on for a big fee before yeah. it falls apart. Other times, it they lose a lot of value. And um, I don't know. So, I, I don't think it's yeah. a Roma exclusive problem is what I'm trying to say. I would agree. Steve, do you know about the Peter principle? No. Okay. So the Peter principle is basically this idea that a person who is competent at their job will earn themselves a promotion to a position that eventually makes them incompetent. Mm. So like the idea is that if you're good at your job, you get a promotion. People like your work, so they want to reward you. And eventually you get to the point where you are no longer actually competent at the at the thing that you're being told to do because your skill set is actually different. I think that that happens a lot in soccer in particular, 
that players get signed from a smaller club because they were impressive at a smaller club and then suddenly they're at a bigger club and the expectations of what your skill set's supposed to be as a player on the starting 11 for a bigger club are so different than what they are for a smaller club i think this helped happen with elder shimurdov let's let's put it out there yeah. like i think that yeah. he was excellent um in at a small Serie A club and we snapped him up and then he played in rome and it turns out that he can't handle it doesn't have the same skill set that's required to be a successful striker at a big club that's not an indictment of him as a player it's just he was put in the wrong position and i would argue that a lot of the times with roma players if they look impressive for a season or two seasons it's that part partially what you said that they get to the point where people figure them out or what happens is they're given more responsibilities in the side uh yeah. a manager finds a player that works and then suddenly says okay i'm going to tailor my tactics at least in part to you and with that comes a lot of responsibility that a lot of players don't aren't able to handle yeah um, good point. so i think that that's part of it too i think that this isn't a roma specific problem though i think that most i think that if you talked to liverpool fans real madrid fans every fan they would say oh man i hate how players seem to have like a life cycle of like two or three years before they get kicked out the door. Um, because that does happen. Yeah. And I would say that that make, that's why these players like the Francesco Totti's, why I guess to like the Andrea Pirlo's, why these players who have such longevity at the top are so special because despite year after year of playing for the same club, and you know maybe not even playing for the same club in these days but like still playing for top clubs like it's the one of the reasons why it's so impressive that Messi has been so good for so long is because people have had like 20 to 25 years now to figure out how yeah. to play against him yeah and he's still incredible like that was true with Totti too like the guy was 38 and still banging in goals at a high level that's really rare and so when people complain about like a player not necessarily being as good as advertised after a year or two, part of it is that, you know, we're watching football at the highest possible level. And yet the echelon of players that we think of as like greats is makes 95% of the players that we see on any given sun Sunday look like scrubs. Yeah. And like, that's just a fact of the matter. Like players are going to, it, it, Yeah. I think that's a lot of it. And if you get to a big club, and I mean, I don't know, we'll say top six or better in one of the big five leagues. I won't, I won't yeah. just keep it to exclusively like Real Madrid's and those teams. But like, if you make it to Roma, there are top four to five team in Italy most seasons, right? Yeah. Um, top six. If you make it to, if you make even, it to a Champions League level club, like yeah. a club that is generally expected to be Champions League level. Yeah, out of the big five leagues, especially because you got pretty good competition there, you have to be a pretty good player to even get to that squad, right? They're not going to yes. sign just some scrub. So even a player like Eldor Shimordov has a pretty decent talent level, right? If he put on, if yeah. he went on the pitch with you and I, he'd make us look like, you know, stationary objects, right? We'd probably yeah. fall on our rear ends trying to defend him. Yeah. But when you then put him against players that are better than him, is he good enough to, to meet that level? And it doesn't seem like he per se is not to pick on him, but uh, we see that with a lot of players, right? You get yeah. guys that come in and they just aren't at that level. And, you know, a lot of the names are escaping me at the moment in my head. But if you asked a fan of Napoli or Lazio or Juve or um, even Milan in Inter, look how many seasons those te two teams went through struggles of finding the right players because of monetary concerns and the such that they weren't having players meet the level they expect out of, you know, those Champions League and, and Scudetto level side. So I don't think it's a Roma exclusive problem. We just see it more because we focus and we're hyper focused on Roma and every player that comes in and you're not going to hit on every transfer. Even the big clubs do. There's a reason why yeah. Real Madrid and Barcelona and, and the big uh, English sides are always trying to offload certain players to yep. the Romas of the world who are just a step below financially and maybe um, performance-wise most seasons. And then those players, like a Chris Smalling, for, for example, has done very well at Roma where he was struggling at United. Part of the United struggles, I think, were, you know, they had their own issues going on. They have pandemic issues that yeah. I think are beyond any one player. Yeah. But um, you see some of these players that come over from these big Premier League clubs and Mkhitaryan was having trouble and he came to Serie A and he found a better fit and and there he is excelling for a couple of seasons at Roma. So I, I think it's just every this club has good. these guys who they swing and miss on for whatever reason, whether it's not a good fit tactically, 
environment wise, the league isn't a great fit for whatever reason. Like McTarn did really well in the Bundesliga and Serie A, but not so great in the Premier League because of his playing style. I think it happens everywhere. And I think it's just starting to be like, well, we've seen this happen with Carzor, VR, this guy, that guy. Yeah. And we're like, why does it keep happening? I think if we were fans of a different club and we follow them just as closely, I think we'd see a lot of it elsewhere. This is why scouting is so hard, man. Because yeah. you're you're looking at a player playing in very specific circumstances and you're trying to figure out if they'll play in a totally different set of circumstances as well or better than they are right now and think about it this way man like if you're if the average person is working at their job there are a million different factors that go into their overall performance beyond just like you know the project they're working on or the skills that they have. Like you can have all the all the proper skills for a role and still be a failure at a at your job at a particular company because you're miserable in the working environment. Yeah. Or there's some family stuff in your life that you've got to deal with. Like just just like they're they're employees at the end of the day. And yep. like it's it's hard to understand this because they're getting paid so much money because they're they're given adulation by you know the entire world but there are so many factors that go into someone's performance as an employee of a club just like there are for you and me in our full-time jobs like yep. like there are a million different things like who you're working with like if you're if you're on a team with a guy at work and he absolutely hates your guts and you hate him back, are you going to be as productive as you might otherwise? No. Like, we hear about these things all the time. It's yeah. like what the uh, what the last dance is made of. It's like pe stories about people who hate each other. And most of the time, it doesn't result in an NBA title. Most of the time, it results in dysfunction. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I think um, a lot of that goes into it. So hopefully the players that we're, you know, bringing in and keeping around are the right fits for what Mourinho wants to do. But they're will inevitably be, you know, casualties that, that come along through the transfer market. I think it, it, it's inevitable. Yeah. All right, Jim. So you're kind of hit us with a couple other good questions. So we're going to, we're going to stick with the, the three he submitted here because he's got, uh, he's got some things to think about, but he wants us to talk about the XG debate. And I'm someone that sends, you know, looks at the XG on Twitter and, and elsewhere. And even with the world cup, I've been sending it to a couple of my buddies about like, you know, teams that are overperforming, underperforming, and they, they make fun of me because Matches aren't won with XG, and and we've seen that with Roma plenty this season. So he says, defenders of the team's current style of play will point out that Roma have created a lot of XG, and they have, but that XG tends to come in bunches. I believe someone pointed out 20 of Roma's 28 XG came in like six games, and the underperformance is truly legendary. What can Mourinho and Roma players do to address this problem? Is it, is it tactical nature? Do they need to spend time working on finishing despite Mourinho's longstanding beliefs to the contrary? Do the players need to do some yoga or something so i mean i don't know if you remember this from back in the day because this is a throwback um remember when rudy garcia first got to rome yeah and they did that uh that they, they did like a uh whitewater rafting trip all together uh, yes 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 i almost i almost think they need to do something like that i honestly do i think that's this especially for the player the forwards that are out of form so much of this seems to be mental like yeah. it's not I don't think it's about Mourinho's tactics. In fact, again, like I'm not, it's not like XG wins matches, but it is a data point that is helpful in us for us to figure out like why things are going wrong. Yeah. And I can just tell you without even looking at the XG stats in front of me right now, that it's not that Roma aren't creating chances. Like that's something that I can say without looking at the stats. Like I can say that when I watch a Roma match, I see chances being created. I see things working like three-fourths to four-fifths of the way to a goal, and then something fluffs it up. Like, I can tell you that after watching a couple months of that this season, I've wanted to, like, punch my TV. And I can tell you that when I was watching the U.S. play the Netherlands in the knockout round, I was getting PTSD to that. It was like, I'm watching Roma again. <laughs> like, and my, fr my the friend I was watching with, uh, Jacob, shout out to Jacob, um it's a Tottenham Hotspur fan and I've all I've always compared Roma to Tottenham and he was like yeah this is the exact same thing as watching a Tottenham Hotspur match you get like four-fifths of the way to a goal and then something really stupid happens and you don't actually capitalize on the chance and that's a mental thing 
And unfortunately, unfortunately, the issue with Roma for decades, I will even go as far as saying, has been the mental thing. Um, it's always been that with, with, during the Francesco Totti era outside of the 2001 Scudetto, it was that. Um, during the Jaco era, it was that. During every era, the problem that Roma has often had is that they play down to their competition and they get way too in their own head. And yep. that's something that takes a lot of time to fix. Um, we talked, like some people were saying like, oh, that monkey's off our back um, now that we've won the Europa Conference League. That's not how these things work. <laughs> like, Sadly, like no. unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately. If anything, it's added know, more pressure like, to these attackers. Exactly. Like you don't get over anxieties and phobias and like club wide issues of being worried about things and not underperforming just because you win one trophy. Like this stuff takes time. Yeah. And I will say that, you know, I think that we're closer than we have been before to getting over those things. Um, I think that we've been more impressive over the past year and a half than we were during the first year and a half of the Rudy Garcia experience, for example. But I will also just say, patience is a virtue on these things, and it pays a lot to do that. I get why people are impatient about the XG gap, but to a certain extent, there's not really too much that you can do because you can't convince me that like, if you replaced Tammy Abraham right now with basically anyone other than Erling Holland um that Roma's goal scored would actually improve like I think I don't even know how like I think part of it's a Tammy Abraham issue part of it's just a team issue like I think that there's there's team mental issues that need to be resolved I do think there are mental issues for sure and I think Tammy has has the most to figure out right now at least over this break especially not getting called up to, to England hopefully I don't know if that'll ease the pressure a bit because maybe he was pressing toward the World Cup I'm hoping that's what it was um and it's not like deeper, but I think clearing their heads, I think is probably the best thing for players like him. Belotti, Pellegrini is not a striker. So to an extent, just him, just kind of getting healthy, um, you know, but when you look at the XG and I'm looking at it down the list of the, the fixtures after Dybala went out, the XG does go down a bit, right? Because, yeah. you know, the, the early season matches, Salernitana, Cremonese around two and a half, and they only scored one goal each. And like, ah, oh, it's the first match of the season. Well, you know, we'll get past it. Um, Overperformed against Monza. We we know Udinese was a mess. Empoli, they underperformed a little bit, but still scored two goals. So it's come in a lot of those matches against the smaller teams where they have created the most XG, which is what you expect. Um, But I I do think it's more down to mental struggles. And I think Dybala getting hurt really started is when the XG started to struggle, right? He missed the Napoli match. They were 0.3. He missed the Lazio match, 0.5. Sassuolo, 0.7. Um, really only Hellas was, was over three and that was up a man with a red card, you know, um, uh, you know, Inter was one and they, they, they got two goals somehow. So, um, they've been finding ways in some matches, not others. I think if guys mentally get it right and start to get in form, it'll help the most, you know, that yoga suggestion at the end, not the end of the world. Maybe they do some kind of team bonding in Portugal, almost like a summer training camp reprieve again, where they don't normally get this time in the middle of the season might do them well. Um, I don't know how much time you could spend on finishing because these guys are professionals and tactics are very important almost as much as finishing is, I think, especially for a manager like Mourinho. Um, But I don't think it's a tactical thing because I think they do, in a match like Napoli, that's the one match where I'll I'll say that was a tactic. Um, I thought that match they were just playing not to give up a goal and were hoping to hit on the counter and, and just couldn't get anything going against Napoli. But other than that, I think most matches... Reno is not trying to just sit back and say, all right, well, we're going to play for a zero zero and hope we get one. I think the team's creating enough tactically to, to not blame his tactics. Um, but yeah, I think I they've been that. really, really reliant on Paulo Dybala when those tactics are working, um, which has been the, the big problem. So yeah. hopefully they get it figured out. Um, you know, I think that's the biggest thing because Yurkado yeah. also asked the season, much like last beginning with big expectations of a product of Mourinho. And then I think the transfer market, uh, he said we had brought in good players, addressed the depth Mourinho had talked so much about, and the team can't get out of first year. What went wrong, in your opinion, is, is when Haldem that important to our style of play? Was the scouting yes. Pinto off? <laughs> are Mourinho's tactics not working, or are our players actually that poor? 
So my answer is, first of all, yes, Wynalum is that important to our style of play. Like, I, I think it's as simple as that, that really the midfield is crucial for any big club with aspirations. And yeah. the problem is that our midfield has not been the midfield that we planned for from day one. That's a big problem. Um, I don't think the scouting by Pinto was off. Uh, thinking about the players that we brought in this summer, uh, Zeki Selleck has looked good to me when he's played. Um, and that's why I'm honestly not as worried about losing Karsdorp as others might be. Um, I would say most of our new signings this summer, like Belotti, I mean, this is... I mean, Belotti was a known commodity. I, I, you know, I think it's a little yeah. baffling why he's struggling as much as he has. Um, maybe I would more agree so with that, but I, but I would just say that in general, you can't account for attackers going into a big rut of poor form. Yeah, that's what it is, yeah. You can't. And that's not that's not poor scouting by Tiago Pinto because we've seen what Belotti can do in Serie A. Like, yeah. that's just, you know, we know we, he was supposed to be a known quantity. And I don't think it's, I don't think the players are poor. I Like, there's a difference between a player being poor and the form being poor. Yeah. And I think that a lot of our players have poor form right now. And that can be resolved in a bunch of ways, but it's not going to be resolved by fixing Mourinho's tactics or whatever. Like, you know, it's just something. Sometimes yeah. things stink and you got to move forward, essentially. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think even the other addition, Miles Vilar, I think he was a speculative buy. That was always yeah, destined no, to be a backup. he was a free backup. agent signing. Yeah, free agent, destined to be a backup, younger keeper to back up Patricio and then probably back up somebody else after that. Um, I yeah. don't know if he's, I don't know if he's shown enough to kind of step in for Patricio. I think that's why we're linked to Vicario right now. Um, yeah. And we'll see in the summer and we'll see if he plays anymore. But the fact that Patricio has played so many uh, Europa League matches and, and all against the smaller size makes me wonder how much, you know, Marino likes him. But um, I think for the most part, I think Pinto's plan I thought was well-founded. I think we just have to hope guys get into form. I definitely um, would say that like compared to other DSs, GMs, whatever you want to call it. Um, I have always felt way more confident that Tiago Pinto has an actual plan. Yeah. Than any of like, I can always see the logic of why certain players were brought in why certain players were promoted from the Primavera, why contracts were extended. Like, I can always see the logic, which I cannot say was true even with Walter Sabatini, who I think we can all agree was is probably the second best DS that Roma had during the 21st, during the American ownership period. Like, yeah, I even... Was, com- even I was going to say, yeah. even Kamara, like, there was clearly a purpose there with Kamara, this, the, the play style he has, I think. And when he was running yeah. so late. No, I agree. Like even even a somewhat panic buy because of Wijnaldum's injury works, and like I found his him to be an interesting signing in a way that a lot of the times if we had to make a panic buy, those signings have not made sense. Yeah, for sure. So we're gonna get to a, a last couple questions here for this episode, and we have two from uh, the CDT user Hobo Humping, and it the first one is if you can characterize it. <laughs> hard not to chuckle saying that name. If you could characterize the team's playing style, what would you call it? What do you think Mourinho would say? I would say counterattacking um, yeah. is is most matches. Yeah. Would I, Mourinho I call would it that? I don't, I don't know, but uh, I don't think to me that's it what that it is 100... most of the time. I mean, that that is kind of Mourinho's style to a certain yeah. extent. Like in general, like I would say that he is a manager who values defensive integrity and looks to frustrate his opponent to the point where they make a lapse and his team seizes on it. Um, it's not Zemanlandia, but it gets the job done a lot of the times. The problem yeah. is, of course, right now that you know the job's not getting done when the moments are actually there to be seized. Yeah, and then last one, looking ahead, uh, he wants to know why do I still hope that Roma can win out the rest of the season? What have they done to me? In my head, I know that they're not that that good, but I believe we can win the whole thing. WTF is wrong with me? Is this love? Hobo hunting, I hate to say it, man. I think you're in love. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, so much of this is form based. That's why I have optimism too. Like this is so much of Roma's. The fact that Roma has had so many players with poor poor form, there's reversion to the mean. That's practically inevitable. First of all, and second of all, they're not that far back given how poor the form has been. Like we talk about, like 
Serie A as if as if it's been a one club league for a while and you know pending Juventus is whatever um it might stop being that for a while too but this is a far more even Serie A than we've had in a long time this yeah, top I think, seven or top uh, eight is even enough that like I could see things getting a little funky by the time that April or May rolls around yeah, I don't think Roma at this point can win the whole thing. If you're talking Scudetto, Napoli would have yeah, to Yeah, I would agree that that's all. probably out of reach, but I never thought that was really the plan yeah. for this season either. If that's what he's referring to as, you know, winning the whole thing. But I think qualifying for top four, I think, you know, form could certainly drop on some of these teams. Roma's could improve, hopefully with better health. And I think the team to keep an eye on now is really Juve. How much does yeah. this whole scandal affect them on the pitch? Do they mm-hmm. have to make sales in January for some financial reasons or... Are the players just mentally not there with the whole board going? I think that would have to be the target team now because I think, yeah. you know, Milan's still within reach, Inter's still within reach. Uh, you're going to have to battle off Lazio, Adelanto, those teams. But Juve could be the team that you catch them on the, you know, in a bad situation. And maybe that's a team that you can jump for top four. And to me, if you finish top four and maybe you can do a little bit in the Europa League uh, and push there, then I think it's a, you know, successful campaign, I think top four in a Copa would be a, a great way to, you know, to cap this season. But, uh, you know, we have to be optimistic. I think maybe part of us is we're forgetting how bad Roma was with the World Cup around for a few weeks now. We're forgetting how bad the form was going because I was just looking at the schedule when I was looking at next year. I was like, oh, man, that's right. We drew Torino and Sassuolo and had a loss mm-hmm. to Lazio before that. I got to erase all that out of our memories and just hope that the, the I can't say preseason, midseason trip to Portugal helps the team gel, gets guys in form, we get Wijnaldum healthy and maybe bring a player or two in in January and we can kind of get it, kick it into high gear a little bit. Also, man, I just got to say, what's the fun in supporting a team if you don't think they can do any better? Right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I know that some people might have different relationships with sports than I do, but I don't ever want to be following a team and thinking like, eh, they suck. I'll keep watching. Yeah. Like, I want there to at least be some light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm, I I'm really do think that there is one. Like, yeah, like how many matches are left? How many points do we need? And whether it's, you know, soccer yeah. or hockey or like how many, you know, games are left for this? And like even the U.S., I'm watching a game like, well, we can upset the Dutch. You know, Argentina hasn't been that great. Maybe we can make yeah, a run. Like, no, you know, you, you guys have to have that You got to hope that you can win at least yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And like that's how I, what I would also say. Like supporting a team – requires at least a little bit of maybe call it naivete maybe call it insanity but like believing that like you know things can go your way yeah and i agree i i I think especially if you follow roma you you're kind of like charlie brown with the football and you gotta just get get used to you gotta enjoy it gotta find some enjoyment in that for sure so we'll leave it with Jimmy's positive message at the end there we will be back next week to uh talk some more roma hopefully there'll be some some happenings in the Romaverse to discuss. Um, other than what we talked about today, Eduardo Bove looks like he's going to be heading out on loan to Lecce from reports. Uh, maybe a good thing for him, get him some playing time. But uh, it's been quiet other than rumors, so stick with the site. We'll keep you up to date with rumors, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. 